Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, a change in seasons. We thank you for uh, the way that the, the cycles of the season renew the land and uh, renew us. God, as we, we spend time in your word this morning, I pray that we will be inspired by you. And that from these, these stories of old, we will find new courage, new confidence, new direction as we seek to love you with everything that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are on this uh, series through the book of Joshua, a book that uh, presents so many challenges for us. As, as, as we read through uh, the surface level of the stories, there's lots of blood, there's lots of gore, there's lots of conflict, there's lots of warfare. It's, it's, it's a difficult book to get through. And we get to uh, chapters 5 and 6 this week, and we look at uh, this story that is familiar to us, uh, but as we dig deeper into it, we start to see more and more of, of what's going on here. Uh, last week, we were in chapters 3 and 4, as we were seeing that the Israelites were crossing through the waters of the Jordan on dry ground. That God, in the amazing things that he does, stops the water, dries the land, and they're able to cross over on dry grounds. We see this incredible miracle of God, this, this work of God. And, and Joshua sets up these 12 stones to remember what God has done and tells the, the people that it's important to remember the amazing things that God has done. And as we continue through the story, we get to, to this opportunity here where they're, they're on the banks of the Jordan on the west side this time. They're camped at Gilgal, and, and they're facing Jericho just a few miles away. And it's so important for them to remember what got them there. To see that it is in the power of God working through them that they're able to get to this place. And that God will continue to sustain them. So today's story, we find the Israelites camped here and, and they're ready to take on Jericho. Battle is inevitable. There is this city that is in the way. They know that this is where they are headed. The spies have gone there and said that the people are in fear. And this is ours for the taking. The battle is inevitable. But from a military standpoint, there are preparations that need to be done. But the story that we go through today sees that there are these preparations that make absolutely no sense to a military person. That as we look at what God is calling them to do to prepare themselves for battle, the story doesn't make sense. They're called to do things that, that just don't really seem like they're going to help win a battle. And so as, as chapter 5 opens up, we see that, that God asks them uh, to, to carry out two different acts of preparation. Now the first act of preparation is circumcision. 
Now, this is absolutely not a wise move for a military pursuit. Because we're taking all of the soldiers and we're, we're, we're causing them to be in several days of recovery, not in battle mode. But this is the preparation that God calls them to, circumcision. The second one is a celebration of Passover. So, so get all the men where they're unable to fight and then pause and celebrate Passover. Neither one of these are, are like at the top of military strategy books, right? Like if, like if you were to learn military strategy, step one is not uh, circumcision. <laughs> the, the, these battle plans make no sense. But this is what God calls them to do, and, they, and it follows this similar pattern that we've been seeing throughout Joshua, where there is this, this command from God, this divine command, and then there's this expectation of human obedience. So God gives his commands, and we're expected to obey. And this is the pattern that we see back and forth in Joshua, and so we have this pattern again here. Now, circumcision is this this uh, ceremony that is instituted by God as a sign of their obedience and covenant relationship with God. The series is, is talking about living in covenant. And a sign of that covenant with God that was established with Abraham and his descendants is this sign of circumcision. It's, it's a symbol of their unique identity, of, of who they are. But there's this entire generation who's been wandering in the desert for 40 years who have not been circumcised. And so we have this new generation who's not participated in this religious rite. But it seems like a risky move to ask the Israelites to, to do this now as they are facing this battle of Jericho. Something that would decommission them for, for, for several days of recovery. But they're not fit to carry out God's battle plan until they have gone through this. And so through circumcision, this generation is now confirming, that they're obedient to what God has called, and they're confirming that they are obedient to him. That their past wondering, their past rebellion, their, their past questioning of who God is, is now buried in the desert. And they're now moving forward in this new generation that's living in covenant with a fresh start in this new land. And then this leads to the second act of preparation, which is the celebration of Passover. Now, only the circumcised could participate in this celebration, and so now all of Israel can participate in this first Passover in this new land. They're in a new place, and the first thing to do is to celebrate Passover. It's a celebration that remembers the past. It's a celebration that, that signals a new beginning for them. And this new life that they're called into. And so it's after these first two acts of preparation that, that the people are now able to feed themselves from the land. They feed themselves from the crops of the land. They're no longer dependent on the manna from God. Up to this point, God had been feeding them. And now they can eat new food from the new land. So this really is a signal of this fresh start for them. Things are brand new. New land, new food, new circumcision, 
new Passover. All of it is time for something new. And then this interesting encounter happens at the end of chapter 5. So look at chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servants? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And so the Israelites have gone through this preparation. They are now obedient to what God has called them into. And now this commander of the Lord's army shows up and says, I'm here to fight the battle. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I am here for God. And I'm fighting for God. And I'm fighting this battle. And so here we have this, this covenant of obedience. We have this celebration of remembrance. We have this tasting of the new land. And we have this encounter with this heavenly officer who says, it's time. I'm here to fight the battle. All is now ready for battle. Chapter 6, starting in verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When they hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So the fall of Jericho has been promised. The spies have gone out to this land and have seen that they are fearful and see that it is easy to take them. But it's not going to be because of their own military might. God says, I will give this to you. Jericho's fall is going to be through the battle of God, not the battle of the people. It's not going to be in their own military expertise or their own military strength that they're going to be able to defeat Jericho. It is going to be a gift from God and only a gift from God that they will win this battle. And so God gives them some very specific and really bizarre marching orders. I think we've read this story so many times. It's a, it's a, it's a fun, popular story with, in, in, with children. And, and we look at this story and it just kind of seems normal to us. But this is just flat out bizarre. Here's how you're going to beat the city of Jericho. You're going to march around it. You're just going to go for a walk. Jericho is about a 10-acre city. Uh, this church sits on 10 acres, so imagine walking the perimeter of this church property. So just go for a walk. 
It's not very far. Go for a walk once a day for six days. Weapons aren't really important. All you need are some priests with some trumpets. They're going to escort the ark. But on the seventh day, this is the big day. This is where everything changes. Instead of doing it once, you do it seven times. And then the final act of war is to yell. Here's your plans. Go for it. That's it? Like, I'm going to walk around the city seven times. I'm going to blow some trumpets. I'm going to yell. And, and then I'm going to walk into the city and it's done. Now, we like to, like to look at this story in isolation of everything that has happened at this point. And so I think of, I think of the Israelites here listening to this battle plan and thinking, uh, this, is, this is not going to work. But these are the same people who just days before have walked across the Jordan on dry ground. Has God been preparing them for something? These are the same people who have been wandering the desert for 40 years who have been fed from heaven. Do they have the faith to walk around this city and say, I think God's got this. Have they been prepared for this moment? And so typical of the narrative, we have the instructions, and then we have a retelling of what actually happens that matches the instructions. Once again, this pattern of divine command and human obedience. And so, we're going to go through this story. And this time, we're going to have a trumpet player blow a shafar for us, a ram's horn, as we go through the story. So, John is in the back. Do not be alarmed when the trumpet blows. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carrying trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And so when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord and went forward, blowing their trumpets. So the trumpets blow, the great battle cry, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead. The priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All the time the trumpets were sounding. But, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. So, so we have this scene of the first day where this army is walking around the city in complete silence, except for these horns that are blowing. And following the horns is the ark. Imagine the scene as you stand on top of the wall of Jericho looking down at this group walking in complete silence. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the trumps, trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord 
and they're blowing the trumpets. And so the armed men went ahead of them. The rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. The trumpets keep sounding. And so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. They marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies she sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will, you, you will make the camp of Israel liable to the destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And so the trumpets sound one more time. Trumpets sound. The army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpets, when the men gave the loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. So what an incredible story this is. The walls fall down. The city is taken. They march in, and they take it. And so this is a great story about trusting God. Like to have the confidence of just going for a walk and saying, yeah, God's got this. There, there's this incredible trust in him. There's this story of obedience that God told them to do something and so they did it. And so these are both great applications that come out of this. There's this story of experiencing victory. But as we, as we journey through this story, let's take a look at it and say, what does this do for us today? What, what message does it give to us? And how should we be advancing when we find ourselves in battle? When we find ourselves in struggle, when we find ourselves in difficulty, when we find ourselves with, with illness or attack or disappointment or discouragement, when we find ourselves in conflict, when we find ourselves in these places of battle, how do we proceed? How do we go forward? How do we journey through that? And so the first thing to catch here is, is the context in which this, in, this entire story happens. There's this backdrop of the wilderness behind them. That they have gone through a lot for 40 years in preparation for this moment. That as they confidently walk around the city of Jericho, there's this backdrop of the wilderness this is a historic transition for them. They've been in this place of difficulty. They've been in this transition from wilderness into the promised lands. The people have, have endured so much along the way. They've survived desert life, a place that has no sustainable life, yet they have survived for an entire generation. And now they're preparing to move forward in this. 
And there, there, there are people that are very different from their rebellious ancestors. These are people who are prepared for this moment. Deuteronomy 8 summarizes how God viewed this time in the wilderness. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so this wilderness experience is, is humbling them. It's causing them to, to hunger after God. It's causing them to have to trust in him and depend on him. The desert does not provide food. God provides food. They can't grow their own food. They can't do anything in their own effort through the wilderness. They are entirely dependent on God to provide. Everything is dependent on him. And so God wanted his people to be spiritually healthy. He wanted them to, to learn to depend totally on him and, and rather, rather than depending on themselves. And so they go through this wilderness experience. It's a hostile environment. It's not, it's not an environment that, that is conducive to life. And so they have to be dependent on God through this. Now, now many of us have these desert experiences. We have these, these times where we're, we're wandering around in the wilderness. It's dark. It's difficult. We, we, we don't know what it is that we're in and we lose hope we can't see light at the end of the tunnel there's there's seasons where where we have to trust in god to sustain us because there's nothing that we can do in those seasons to be able to to survive on our own we go through times of grief we go through times of loss we go through times of of unemployment or illness or conflict or or or, or marriage crisis we go through these difficulties in these dark times this time in the wilderness the time in the desert and and we have no hope that and and it's in those moments that we have to learn that we can trust on god and god alone that it's not going to be in our own efforts, it's not going to be in our own abilities, it's not going to be how well we, we get through this thing. It's going to be God and only God that saves this. And so we learn to trust in God, we learn to depend on him, we learn to, de learn to depend on his presence to support us. And so these wilderness experiences that we go through, they form us, they shape us, they test us. To be able to prepare us for the battle that's ahead. These moments are definitive for us because they, they create in us a perseverance. Romans chapter, chapter 5 talks about the importance of perseverance, pers perseverance in our times of suffering, in our times in the wilderness. It says, we also give glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
And so we will face times of suffering. We will face times of difficulty. But in that suffering, will we glorify God? Will we trust in him? Will we put our dependence in him? Because in that perseverance is where our hope comes from. But even after the Israelites endured the wilderness, as they learned to trust in God, to depend on him, as they they wandered around, they're still not ready for battle. There is this backdrop of the wilderness that they've experienced. It's shaped them, it's molded them, but they're still not ready. They're still not spiritually fit enough to enter into battle. And so it's at the camp at Gilgal that, that they're circumcised and that they celebrate Passover. The circumcision is this, this religious rite to get them spiritually fit and ready for battle. Passover is this opportunity to remember where they have come from and what they're being promised and what God has done for them in the process. And so these two things serve as a preparation for them. And so for us, we have spiritual practices that, that work at helping get us spiritually fit. Things that, 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 that were practices that we're able to go through to, to get our hearts strengthened, to become closer to God, to, to learn to trust in Him, to, to depend on Him. These spiritual practices, these, these spiritual disciplines help put us in a position to trust in Him. And so they help us get rid of the spiritual flab, the extra weight that we carry around, leaning us up, getting us spiritually fit. And so the bad habits, the the gloomy outlooks, the strongholds, the the divided loyalties, the, the cynicism that we all experience at times, these are things that sap away our energy, pull us away from our trust in God. They they lead us into to fear and doubt. And when you are headed into battle, the last things you want are fear and doubt. That as we enter into a season of battle. We need to be strong and courageous. And so God prepares them so that they will not be afraid and they will not doubt. Uh, This is part of the reason why we're putting an emphasis on gather, grow, and go. That that as a family, these are are, are three ways in which we we can work to become spiritually fit, that we can help one another become spiritually fit. As we, we gather together for worship every week so that we can be inspired and that we can share testimony and we can encourage one another through our time together, that we can grow together in, in a life group where we can experience a closeness with one another and we can support one another and we can challenge one another, where we can go and, and, and make a difference in our neighborhoods and in the world around us. That we're putting ourselves in position to get spiritually fit. So that when those battles come, when we're, we're standing at the door of Jericho that is barred shut, we know what to do. That we're prepared to trust in God. And so, so the more fit that you are, when those difficulties come, you will be prepared to trust in God through those difficulties. When we were 
first finding out about hope and the journey that we were going through with that pregnancy, being able to, to go through that experience, I was very much dependent on what had led us to that point prior, the wilderness experiences that we had gone through prior, the spiritual practices that we had gone through prior, things that helped put us in a position to trust God through that. And so this is what we see in the Israelites. We see that they're in a position to trust in God. And so as we persevere in the wilderness, we grow in our trust of God. As, as we prepare for battle, we build our spiritual fitness. But all of this is irrelevant if we don't acknowledge the unpleasant reality that there is a war going on. That we are in battle. That there, there is something going on around us that is beyond what we can see. That there are enemies of the gospel that are vast and cruel. That want to nip away at us. That want to discourage us. That want us to fail. And so for the Israelites, they could very clearly see the walls of Jericho and see that they were in a battle. But oftentimes we lose sight of the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. That there is war being waged. That there are, are, are fights against our attempts to share the gospel. There are fights against attempts to reconcile families. There are fights against attempts to better our neighborhood or to serve the poor or, or work for justice in the world around us. There are battles being waged. But even in this dark reminder that, that we are at war, it's not a time to be discouraged because God fights for his people. In the same way that the, the commander of the army of the Lord shows up and says, I've got this, God shows up and says, I've got this. Yes, there's a war. Yes, there's a battle, but God's fighting it. And the role that we have to play is to trust and obey. That if we will submit to his commandments, if we will submit to his instruction, if we will trust in him, then the battle is being fought for us. And we get stuck in traps when we think that it's our battle to fight. It's our battle to fight alone. It's, 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 it's our battle to fight in my power. And so when we are battling things like addiction, when we are battling things like, like relational crisis, when we're trying to battle these things in our own efforts and our own abilities, then we're destined to fail because none of us are strong enough and none of us are equip, equipped enough to fight those battles. God is fighting those battles. And so we have to engage in the battle with him. But not only does God fight that for us, we're able to remember because of where we're, we've been, we're able to remember because of the story of the cross that Jesus has already won the most decisive battle. In war, there's often this turning point where you feel like one side is losing and the other side is winning, but there is this decisive battle where the tables turn and things shift. And for us, 
that decisive battle is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That yes, there is war being waged against us, but that decisive battle has been won. And we know who's going to win the war. And so can you stand up to the battle that you're in? Can you walk up to that wall and follow the most difficult instructions that just say, go for a walk, blow a trumpet, shout? The Israelites were confident that those walls would fall because God said they would. And so will you enter into your battles, will you enter into your struggles with that same kind of confidence? Knowing that the decisive battles have been won, knowing that the war will be won, knowing that God is the one fighting, not us. And so what is that wall you're up against today? What is that Jericho that, that just seems impossible what is that difficulty? What is the situation? What is, what is the battle that you are in? Because the commander of the Lord's army comes and says, I've got this. I'm fighting it. You just have to show up and trust in me. Trust in what I have already done for you. In our last series, Reboot, we talked about the mission of the church. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says that the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. The church will not be beat. We will not lose. Because God is building it for us. And not only that, he calls us to be on the offensive. They're not defending themselves from Jericho. They are going and attacking Jericho. And so we are on the offensive in this battle, trusting God to fight it for us. And so will you fight? Daily, we enter into a battlefield. Daily, we go into the places that God is sending us, knowing that his powerful presence is there, knowing that his presence is surrounding us every step of the way. And so can we go with confidence that he is there with us? Go with confidence that he is leading the way. Go with confidence that he's fighting the battle. And so we move humbly. We move patiently, knowing that he is at work. We trust in God knowing that he has the enemy on the run. Let's stand together. Sometimes we get so focused on the immediate that we lose heart, we get discouraged, and we lose sight of what it is that God is doing. If we were to be standing up against the wall of Jericho today, Would you look at the wall and just see the impossible task that's ahead of you? Or will you see the 40 years of wilderness preparation? Will you see the things that God has brought you through, the miracles that he's already worked, remembering the story of God, remembering what he's already done and what he's promised he will do? Because if we will do that, then we can be confident in the battles that we face.
We can be confident in the struggles that we face. And so our prayer today is, God, fight for us. He already is. But will you remember that he is? And trust in that. We're going to spend some time in prayer, and this is an opportunity for you to to pray individually. It's a time for you to to pray with family and friends or with your life group. You can come forward and, and pray with one of the shepherds. Uh, you, can, you can sing this song of prayer as we trust in God, knowing that he's got this, knowing that he's the one that's fighting the battle. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for these words of Joshua, this story of a people who have built a trust in you, built a confidence in you, And so, God, for those times that we feel like everything depends on us, I pray that we release that and that we trust in you, knowing that you're the one who's fighting the battles. Give us confidence in you and your promises for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.